Many young people have grown up knowing that it's their cup that needs to be filled up by the teachers, the mentors, the parents, the bosses, the CEOs who have the jug to fill it up. At Bodrum Banta, we believe that it's through coming together that we create a bigger pool of knowledge and wisdom with the mission of making the boardroom as big as can be, amplifying the stories behind the people and filling each other up. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to every single one of you guys listening in. Welcome back to the Boardroom Banter podcast. I will be one of your hosts for this for this brilliant episode that we have. My name is Boniface Omina, also known as the local noise maker. And on my right is... <laughs> How's everyone doing? (laughs) (laughs) Well, welcome to the boardroom. Sean Karanza here. Going to be your co-host along with my good friend, Bonnie. It's always a pleasure to be in the quote-unquote studio. And as usual, we've got a fantastic guest lined up for you guys today. I do not think the listeners are ready. Bonnie, they're never ready, are they? Do you think they're ready for this? I mean, are they ever? (laughs) so this is gonna be a fantastic (laughs) (laughs) it's gonna be a fantastic episode um lots to do with social impact we're gonna be talking about the future of work and yeah we've we've got a fantastic guest um mr sean paul who shall be whose brain we shall be picking and it's it's all consensual knows what he is getting himself into and yeah we're excited we to hear him. more about we've been prepping him yeah for we such have a long prepped time him. for this <laughs> starting to get a bit nervous guys i won't lie <laughs> ah no no need no need so just to give guys a bit of background into into our guest so he he's the co-founder um was the ceo up until 2021 and the current board member of the amani institute you know, which focuses on developing professionals who create social impact. And he, this institute is currently being run in India, Brazil, and Kenya, but they have been able to work with, you know, different professionals from over 70 different countries. I think, I think Roshan will expand on this when, when he speaks. But on top, of, on top of that, he has been interviewed by Forbes, Vanity Fair, Italy, Huffington Post's Fast Company, and now now Bodrum Banta. Bodrum Banta. This is the best of them all. <laughs> oh, you're too kind. How are you doing, Roshan? Where are you joining us from? Well, right now I am uh, joining you from Bangalore in India. Um, I'm visiting my mom here, but I now live in Washington D.C. Um, and I'm really happy to be here. Delighted to be with you guys. Uh, um, you know, you're taking me back to uh, my years in Kenya, which uh, I lived in Kenya for about half of the previous decade, and I loved it. Uh, so this is uh, like a nice walk down memory lane in a way. Fantastic, Roshan. Uh, One of the things that we at the Bodrum Banta have come across time and time again is just the dire need for entrepreneurship on the continent and across the world that has people at its center, right? And that's something that you know, has been at the core of some of the work that you've been doing. So give us, give us just, a, just a brief overview of, you know, who is Roshan Paul and what, what has been your life's work to date? And, you know, what are some of the things that you're proud of? What are some of the things that um, you have contributed towards? Um, yeah, 
give us give us give us a shot at that yeah um well um i guess my if i were to put my life's work into one sentence it would be um helping people to have an impact in the world more than they thought possible you know i've spent uh, 20 years in social entrepreneurship uh, first the first 10 years of my career were at an organization called ashoka uh, that supports social entrepreneurship, so social entrepreneurs around the world, and I must have worked with about 500 or so of these Ashoka fellows. Um, you know, I know that you've been to a couple of you have uh, gone to Watson uh, Institute, uh, and you know Eric, who's the founder of that, is an Ashoka fellow. So uh, imagine like 500 Eric's. Uh, you know, that's that's like the first decade of my career. You know, working with incredible people like that. Um, and then I got the feeling that it's time for me to be one. It's time for me to be an entrepreneur and uh, after serving them for so long. And um, I came up with an idea that, um, you know, that there was a need for a different type of education system, uh, higher education, that universities were doing some things well, but they were not, one, one of the things they were not doing well was preparing people for their careers and particularly careers in social impact. And having made the choice in my early 20s coming out of university not to go into the traditional corporate world but to work in social entrepreneurship and build a career where by this point i was traveling around the world i was in you know management in a major global ngo um a lot of the people who thought i was crazy for choosing you know to turn down a fancy salary at 22 and move to work in a, a nonprofit in india uh, they were now asking me, hey, how do I build this a career in social impact? This NGO thing looks kind of cool. Um, and, uh, and I felt that I had an answer, you know, having, having done that. And uh, around this time, I met um, a young woman from Argentina uh, who was working at the same organization. And she had had a very different life story than mine, but had come to similar conclusions about, um, you know, the education system and what was needed. And so we decided to, to join forces and um and start a new organization that would help as many people as possible from around the world uh, to build meaningful careers um in social impact and so we left our jobs in washington dc and moved to nairobi in 2012 to start what became amani institute um and you know then it just grew from there to brazil and then to india and of course we did projects in 30 something countries around the world as well so um, as to who Roshan is, you know, in some ways, I'm still trying to figure that out uh, myself. Uh, I'll let you know when I when I have the answer. Um, but uh, but I think if there's a red thread that goes through everything I do, it's helping change makers. It's helping people to have an impact in the world. That's beautiful, Roshan. I think we're all in the same boat, right? Just trying to figure out, you know, where do we fit in in this big large jigsaw puzzle um, in the world. But it's very encouraging to see like that that's the tra trajectory that you that you took after after college because just looking at our audience and the circles that we're in as the founders in the boardroom you know people do struggle with certain decisions of as you've referenced right do i do i choose the path that's going to help me realize my purpose or do i just follow the money right and we're seeing a lot more of of these decisions being necessitated with what's currently happening in the workspace. And I think a good place to kick off this conversation is going back to your 2016 TED talk, where you be, which you began by saying that the workspace you are in right now 
just speaking to the audience, the workspace that you're in right now will change dramatically in the next 10 years. Um, this was 2015, we're in 2022. So in retrospect, like looking at how, what the past 18 months has been like, this shift is happening, um, Roshan. And I'd love to just pick your brain a bit on this. What do you, what would you say is currently happening in, in the global theater that's really driving this shift, this progressive shift towards more purpose-driven careers? You know, we're seeing things like the great resignation happening in the United States. What would you comment on the, on the climate at the moment? Sure. Uh, I'm even surprised by how um, uh, prescient that TED talk um, was, you know, like I saw it happening, but, you know, even I probably wouldn't have predicted how dramatically it accelerated in the last few years. And, um, you know, I'm sure there's many reasons for that. Um, I, the, the reason we saw this wave rising was post the 2008 recession, when a lot of people started to question, what good is it to spend all my time in this cubicle in this big company if big companies can disappear overnight? Uh, because of bad financial practices. Uh, so let me go, you know, be an entrepreneur or let me go be an artist or an, you know, uh, entrepreneur um, mixing the two or, or whatever it might be. Um, and we started to see that happen. And then, um, you know, post 2016 or, or especially in the last few years, as, as I think there's been two trends um, that have really accelerated uh, this shift towards purpose. Um, the first is climate change, of course, you know, the very exist, our very existence is in, you know, being called into question uh, and the, the long term viability of our planet. And I think that's causing not just individuals to reassess how they live their lives and what they want to spend their time on, uh, on the planet doing. But through that, it's pushing companies to start to consider the, uh, their environmental footprint, you know, the consequences of some of their decisions, uh, because uh, the evidence around climate change is so much greater today than it was, say, five or 10 years ago. And so um, I think that's been one driving force. Another driving force has been the global conversation around uh, diversity, equity and inclusion, right? Or let's just call it justice, if you will, um, you know, the, the, the need to uh, make sure that people are being treated fairly, whether that started with the hashtag Me Too movement and Black Lives Matter in the US, uh, and then has grown around the world. Uh, there's this larger question of like, you know, how do we um, make things more equal in society? And how do we bring justice to people who are being denied it? And I think that's another huge driving force. I would say that's really driving more internally within companies. It's an, it's an inside out thing, whereas climate change is an outside in thing, perhaps. Um, so I think those are two things. And then of course, you know, uh, then came 2020 and, and uh, COVID. And COVID reminds me of 2008 and it reminds me of, I'm old enough to remember 2001 and September 11th, um, you know, and, and those were two big global shocks that also led to a lot of people questioning what they want to do with their lives. And so the great resignation, you know, as, as it's called in the US and perhaps the UK, uh, I think is partly happening because COVID has put so much of what we know about work into question and people say not willing to put up with uh, meaningless work or work that makes them feel undervalued. Um, there's a many, many different aspects of the great resignation, of course, but I think one aspect of it is this, I almost call it the great um, uh, questioning, uh, or even more, 
like to refine that further, the great questing. Uh, you know, it's like a quest for um, for meaning. It's a quest for uh, value, yeah. and I think that's yeah. that's really a driving force uh, as well today. So when when we've got all of these factors, you know, coming together, and lots of people are bombarded with um, not just the awareness of these issues, but, uh, you know, some sort of internal obligation to actually act on it and create that change that you see around them, right? Um, and we now know that through social media and, and similar platforms, it's easier now than ever to spread a message, right? It's, 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 it's easier now than ever to actually, you know, amplify impact and create awareness about something but what, what does that look like on the ground? So let's say, you know, you're venturing into a career, right? Um, you're thinking of being an intrapreneur, right? So being entrepreneurial within a company or, you know, you want to do an entrepreneurial path, right? Starting your own. But at the end of the day, you know, you've got this, 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 this need to solve a problem in society. So how, how do you go about it actually being impactful, right? You've worked with hundreds of different fellows who have got um, lots of projects which seek to solve societal issues. What have you learned about impact, um, especially social impact, right? What are the characteristics of that? And, you know, is is there some sort of mental model that you guys um, incorporate or teach your fellows about how to go about creating it? I think it's a really good question, you know, because uh, so much of, I think, pop culture today is about the message uh, through social media. It's about the brand. Um, it's about, um, I think, what I think is a somewhat surface level uh, dialogue or, or discourse. Um, and I think impact is something quite different, you know. Impact is uh, about changing how something happens on the ground in, in real time. and it can be designed and like so if you're going to work for impact you've got to design your intervention you've got to design your uh, venture to have impact and to and when i say have impact i mean to try to change something at the root or at the system level uh, or another way to think about it is to change behavior right i think a simple way to think about social change is that all social change is behavior change it's people doing something differently than they used to do before and i think uh, an easy way to to understand, not easy, but like uh, a simple rule to understand, like let's say a new technology, for instance, right? Because new technologies are always sexy and we're always like trying to hype up, like what's the great new app or the great new solar something or, you know, um, uh, is, is it actually leading to a change in the way people do something, right? Is it leading to a change in how we understand how something works on the ground? Uh, and I think that's what we need to look at when we think about impact, is what is the behavior change that this intervention is leading to or is enabling? Uh, and sometimes it's not easy to see. Uh, so you've got to measure it. And there's, of course, loads of you know highly professionalized ways of measuring impact. But I think you can keep it in your mind as a general rule is to say, all right, how are people behaving differently than they used to uh, because of this? Thanks for that. Thanks. Right. So behavior change I, I think that's 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 a big one right um mm -hmm. that's that's a that's a tweet in fact you know all social was, impact is <laughs> is behavior change I was just about to ask then, <laughs> we are we're uh, Twitter warriors. 
in the boardroom. <laughs> <laughs> we will teach <laughs> everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's try to bring some depth to the social media, you know. Um, but yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. One thing that comes to yeah, mind buddy. from from what Rishana has spoken about that that behavior change, Sean. If you think about the different social ventures that you started over the years, right? Right. And we gave Rashan insight about yeah. like into each of us through our through our profiles. Sean, if you look at the different social ventures that you've started, do you feel like yeah. to a certain extent you've been able to accomplish that behavior change within your own ventures? Because I'm also just looking right, at so, it introspectively yeah. on on my end as well. Good question, actually. And um if 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 you and I mean, Bonnie, you, you're not part of some of the work that I had been doing back home yeah. uh, through um, w- one of the first businesses that I started actually on, on my first gap year when I said, you know what, I'm, this university thing, just let me <laughs> take a break, mom. I, I need to breathe. I need to figure out if I actually want to be an entrepreneur. And I went out and I started um, uh, a, a 21st century skills training uh, platform, mm. right? So we'd go out into schools, high schools, um, and basically teaching people stuff like, you know, communication for impact, um, things like personal branding, how do you network, how do you um, set goals and visions for yourself. So all those things that, you know, school would overlook. Mm-hmm. And I think in, in one way I saw behavior change was um, students started coming for the after-school program. So we started an after-school program in, in one of the first partner schools that we had. And the first week, there was like three people who showed up, you know, but I kept going, you know, I kept going. Uh, okay. and, and then what, what happened was as these few started to make progress on their own goals and started gaining clarity and like we're engaging really fun stuff, people started attending um, the classes more. And what that led to was um, a couple of them actually started their own little businesses uh, campus. And so it became a thing where, okay, if you've gone to the after school program, then like, you know, you're better equipped to start your own little thing. So that was, that was one way that, that, that we definitely saw behavioral change. And, um, Bonnie actually came for, Boniface came for one of, one of the, sessions that we did and it it was basically it was the in-flight experience remember that one bernie the yeah i remember yeah and so what what that little event was was aimed at doing was um allowing people to network with each other and Mm -hmm. brain dump on certain ideas that they may have and come up with some sort of framework for a solution right Mm. and so what, what, what that branched out into was that people within that group started networking with each other actively. And so, you know, you found someone found their co-founder there for something, you know, and then um, we took it a step further. We started a telegram group and we'd have sessions every Sunday where people are just adding value. So there was that where, you know, I definitely hear you about social impact being behavior driven. So we're able to measure impact based on how many people have started doing this new thing that um, mm-hmm. we started, right? So yep. I'd, I'd, be, I'd, be, I'd be keen on, on, on hearing um, uh, about, about Boniface. Then now we can go to Roshan and maybe Roshan, you can tell us about yeah. how um, Ashoka and Amani Institute have changed behavior. But Boni? 
I'm really happy that you mentioned that, John. And I have a perfect way of just tying, tying this back to Roshan. Um, Roshan's new book, right? The New Reason to Work. One of the things that you highlight in your book, Roshan, is the six principles to unlocking your career, right? Designing your own education, aligning who you are and what you want to do, problem-solving skills. Sean just mentioned this, networking right there. And all of these things, when I look at the mentorship experiences that we've had before coming to ALU and everything, these things have really featured, featured in the context of our how how we've modeled our education paths. You know, Sean, you going from studying in Kenya to ALA to ALU, to A, so and then there was Draper University right there. You and myself from the Nana School to Watson to ALU right now. And when I look at how how I've led my ventures over the years, I've done my best to rope in my friends, right, the people in my immediate social circles, not. As in, I'd be like, you know, we can see that with Bodrum Banta, um, with the events venture that I that I run. And one thing that I have observed that has happened. So at the moment, um, I'm running, you and I are running our events venture both here in Mauritius and in Kenya. Mm-hmm. And the reason why we have we have a lot of confidence in our team in Kenya is because the capacity building of it has come from always looping these people along in our journeys. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love. I'd love for uh, for Ashan to come in here and just break down how they've integrated these six principles within the context of a money institute, and how how your book, you know, really christens that over with 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 the lived experiences that feature inside. Yeah, um, well, so the book is actually based on you know the lessons we learned while running a money institute for a decade, right? Um, so it's it's like it's almost saying like okay, what are the key principles that we have seen uh, in the hundreds of people who who've gone through our, our education program, but also the thousands of people that have gone through um, our other programs. What have we seen? What's what's in common with how you know they found success in building their career? And we came up with these six principles. Um, and, you know, as you said, it's about designing consciously your own education, which is about lifelong learning and looking for ways beyond the traditional system to keep learning and keep, uh, um, you know, building your capacity and your skills for the 21st century. You know, we also talk about aligning who you are with what you do, which is about uh, making sure that your uh, job, your work, your career fits your values, your beliefs, your mental models, you know, and, and so on. And, uh, and when that is in alignment, then you are more likely to lead a fulfilled life and make a productive impact with your career. We then talk about creativity and problem solving or creativity as the super skill. That's the most important skill in the 21st century is the ability to solve problems because we don't know, you know, how the world is going, how things are evolving so quickly um, that one of the most important skills is creativity. And most people think creativity is something that you're born with, right? They say, I can't be a Steve Jobs, I can't be an Elon Musk. But uh, the truth is that it's a set of like behavioral um, behaviors and mindsets that anyone can uh, get better at, you know, maybe no one masters it, but anyone can get better at and apply it when they, when they have to solve any, even a small problem, um, let alone, you know, come up with new ideas to, to change the world. 
Um, then we move into uh, what we call, you know, weaving a network of relationships. So the idea that networking, you know, you guys seem to be really uh, extroverted, you know, you run an events company and so on. Um, but I would say like most people are terrified of networking, right? They, they think it is really transactional and inauthentic and they don't want to interact with people that way. Um, and we believe it doesn't have to be that way. So my co-author and I are both you know, deep introverts, actually. And, um, you know, we don't like going to cocktail um, parties or, you know, happy hours. We actually prefer to talk one-on-one -on -one with people. And, and we believe that there's a different way to network out there. And we talk about that in the book as well. We then go into the importance of storytelling, you know, or we say owning your story. Uh, so knowing that storytelling has, rests on a set of core principles or core frameworks that, you know, you can apply to position yourself better for jobs or, or to lead other people more effectively. Um, and then finally, we, we talk about social impact uh, is, is not a short-term sprint. It's a long-term marathon, right? If you think about it, problems like global hunger or poverty have been with us for millennia, right? They're not going to go away overnight in your and my lifetime maybe we can play our role to make it better and to make you know progressively more and more people uh, able to get a healthy meal or to you know not live um, under the poverty line but um, we may not see the end of that in our lifetime so you know once you think about it as a long-term thing as a career not a short-term sprint uh, you don't run a marathon the way you run 100 meters, right? You have to pace yourself. Uh, you have to take care of yourself. You've got to, like, you know, nourish yourself over the long term. And there's a set of, you know, questions and principles that you can use to make sure that you're not going to burn out, um, that you're making sure your short-term needs are covered, um, and, and so on. And so we, we explain that as well. And so those are kind of the six principles that uh, underline, you know, careers in social change, successful long-term careers in social change. And of course, you know, these are just the ideas and under each of that is a set of uh, frameworks and things that anyone can apply, uh, global stories from around the world of, of people, you know, young and old who have been doing this uh, successfully uh, as well. So that's how the book is set up. Uh, and uh, that's how we try to help as many people as possible, you know, move into an impact first career, as we put it. Wow, no, those those are super practical. And mm -hmm. I definitely think that things like storytelling are, are not emphasized enough in mm -hmm. you know our traditional settings where um, you know, if you've got an idea, pitching, you know, is storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. Uh if if you've got a a message, right? Mm -hmm. Putting it across would take a lot of storytelling. Networking is also storytelling, right? You're mm -hmm. getting to know someone, you're exchanging value. And yeah, no, I, 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 I do think that those are 21st century skills in themselves. But a question that I'd have for you is, how would we bridge the gap between, you know, our traditional education institutions, um, which are attempting to prepare people for the workspace, right? Uh, and the reality of the world, which is that these are some of the fundamental skills that we need to be building. Um, mm -hmm. how, 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 have you, how have you envisioned bridging that gap? Because lots of people are leaving uh, high schools, universities, but they're not being equipped with these things. Is, is there a way that yeah. that could be done? Yeah, I think, um, so I think you the reason that this happened is you have to understand the um, 
the core purpose of the university through history, right? So universities have been around for hundreds of years. They were initially, we call it the, uh, you know, academia, right? The academy. Um, universities were never intended to build uh, people with professional skills uh, for careers in the professional space. They were intended to be centers of learning for of knowledge um, acquisition and knowledge production for its own sake, right? And then you had, you know, um, hist in, like historically, you had trade schools and apprenticeship programs and so on that helped people get, you know, practical skills. But the academy, university, was about research, it was about production of knowledge and so on. And that's super important. But then sometime probably in the 20th century, we started to ask universities to do this other thing, which is create, um, you know, the next generation of uh, professionals and employees for companies as they, as they grew or, um, you know, all kinds of organizations as they grew. And universities were never set up to do that. All right. So the incentive structures in universities are not the same as the incentive structures for employers, right? Employers are looking for usable practical skills that people can deploy to solve problems in the workspace. Universities are looking to do research um, and not necessarily to build skills. And so um, somewhere along the 20th century, we asked universities to play the role of preparing people for careers in social impact in, in, in the corporate world and in social impact. And it's no surprise that they do a bad job with it because they were never supposed to do that in the first place, right? Um, a professor is um, is evaluated or their career doesn't depend on how good a teacher they are and what their students go out and do. They, their career rises and falls with, you know, what new knowledge they create, uh, with their publications, their patents, you know, all of that, right? They're not judged on students, they're judged on research, right? So, um, so, so universities are not supposed to be preparing people for uh, professional lives. And so that's where the fundamental disconnect is. So um, the Amani Institute and, and Watson and uh, you know, other organizations were created to try to bridge that gap between where universities leave people and what where employers are looking for them. Now, I think it's true that universities increasingly are aware of this, right? Like many universities know that they have a problem and that they need to do a better job uh, of preparing people for professional life. Um, and I think the newer ones like ALU, for instance, are potentially trying to do that better from the beginning, right? Because they know that the purpose of the university today is different than it was, you know, 100, 200, 300 years ago. Uh, and so there are many innovative universities on, or innovative master's programs within traditional universities uh, that are coming up with different ways of doing things. But at its core, that's, the, that's where universities, you know, have a problem. Um, and so I think the way to answer that is to is to actually split the 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 knowledge academic function of universities with the professional life function of universities. Right now they're trying to do the same thing. The the people creating the knowledge, also known as professors, are also tasked with creating building you know the next generation of of leaders and and uh, young people. Uh, I think we can split that and have like practical professionals uh, lead, uh, you know, the, the courses and the training programs that help people get ready for professional life. And then you have the academics and the researchers do their thing, um, which is very important too. And I think government should support that and, and there should be ways of funding that that are not dependent on student tuition. 
as well. So I think student tuition should go to the building of skills, um, you know, and of course, critical thinking and research could be seen as important skills. I'm not saying that those are fundamentally unimportant, but I think if you start to split the, um, the academic function from the professional development function, uh, you'll start to have very interesting new ways of designing universities and, and learning programs than is traditionally the case. I don't know about you, Sean, but I have I have never gotten a more insane breakdown of my whole entire academic life <laughs> than I've gotten today. Because, because now, now, now in retrospect, when I look at okay, let's let's look at um, high schools, universities, and institutes like Amman Institute and Watson Institute, right? In terms of incentive structures, when I look at high school, um, Oh, let's first also include the students who are in these in these different institutions. Right? Uh, what Rashan just mentioned that it got to a point where we we started asking universities to play the professional development role. Right? I feel like a lot of this this push also came from the students within the institutions mm. who demanded more. Mm. We do, like as students, we demand more from our universities. Right on top of just the academic um, resources that they provide. Oh, can you help me get internships? Can you help me write resumes? Can you help me learn how to network? Um, and thank God we have things like YouTube, right, yeah. and other content creators um, who facilitate facilitate this. But I look at the biggest areas that we used to clash with my teachers in high school on was the fact that okay, they were looking at how can we get these students to the best universities once they finish um, once they finish high school? I don't know if you know um, Sean can relate to this. Yeah. But yeah. you know, and, and that was a significant metric of success. That it, exactly. the student, how many have you converted oh. into university oh. students, but not just any university top degree programs? Yeah, which yeah. we can brag about and bring more people into our high school to exactly keep the loop going. Now, when you yeah. look at, when you look at primary school, there wasn't really um, such, such metrics, especially like for like early primary school. But then if you look at even um, class eight students, once they finish it's okay, who got into the top high schools. When you look at high schools, it's who got into the top universities, right? As a transition. But then when we come to universities, as Roshan is explaining, and I think um, I've, I've witnessed a lot of this from like liberal arts colleges in the United States where, you know, professors are also focused on, okay, how much funding can I get for uh, this research project that I have? What can I, you know, ideate or create to get me a Nobel Peace Prize nomination and stuff like that. But one thing that I'm very curious about is that what is the, what is the process model for the students who are going through these through these institutions? Because what, what we're seeing now is students who are coming out of this entire loop, feeling very very dissatisfied with the type of education that they got, feeling very shortchanged, um, whether you know it was a certain um, amount of tuition that was paid, you know, students who feel, oh, I was pushed into a degree that you know wasn't really aligned with you know, my purpose and what I want, what I want out of life. And the biggest question that I have right now is how would we go about creating roundtables for these different stakeholders to sit in and have these conversations of just reaching um, a certain level of alignment? I don't know, um, Sean, if you have any thoughts on this and you can just hear what Roshan has to say as well. Yeah, I mean, um, this 
this is exactly the the problem or, or, or challenge that um, I had set out to try and, and, and solve with Project Exponential, right? Because mm. I just come out of my, I just entered my gap year and it was insanely difficult to find an internship. So I said, you know what, there's probably a couple million other people who have the same problem, right? Mm-hmm. And the issue there was there's no bridge in between. So, you know, by the time, you know, Project X, now we're, we've been running gap year programs, et cetera, you know, just filling the filling the blank that 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 you're left with w- one of the things that um i still think is an interesting challenge within that space is demand and supply seeing eye to eye you get so let's say um, employer demand right people with companies people with organizations they have demand for you know um high level talent these universities and schools and whatever bridging programs are creating supply of these talented people. But, you know, where, where that supply and demand come and meet, um, I'm not sure, Roshan, have, have, have you thought about, you know, a model that could work where, you know, we've got people who are equipped? Maybe you could tell us a bit um, more about your fellows program. You know, how, mm-hmm. how did you guys go about um, releasing these high impact individuals into the world? but not just throwing them out into the wind, but, but yeah, creating a space where they can actually either build a business or um, get attached into an organization that matters. Um, How, how, how did, how did you think about that? It's, um, it's a great question. It's not an easy thing to, to build, you know, that pipeline, uh, because of course, individuals are different, right? Uh, some people are really driven and motivated and, uh, you know, exceptionally good at what they do. Other people, you know, maybe are less at that development stage and they have to go through several more years of, you know, reaching that stage. So it's hard sometimes for an organization like Amani or, or Watson, you know, or ALU to promise that uh, to employers say that like, you know, 100% of the people that graduate from our program are going to be fit for you. You know, you just can't guarantee that because um, all humans are at different stages of development and, and evolution and interest as well. So what you can do is try to set it up as best as possible. So you design curriculum and you design um, professional development opportunities like internships or um, field trips and and things uh, like that, or mentorship programs and things like that. Uh, and then you kind of hope for the best, right, uh, in a way. But what you, what you can try to do is create, you know, um, programs with employers uh, so that they, they are, you know, reduce the risk to the employer of hiring a student. Because if you look at it from the employer standpoint as well, they've got a certain amount of money, they've got a budget, and they can't afford to waste that money on someone who isn't ready either, right? So, so that's why we have job interviews and, and all of that. So how can you start to reduce the risk for the employer um, so that the employer doesn't have to take on the burden of training of someone who comes out of university not ready for employment uh, in that particular organization? I think that's where you would start. I don't think that there's a silver bullet there. Um, I think, you know, and then maybe that's a function of people developing at different paces, at different uh, speeds. Um, and some people are, they come out of university, they're like ready to go, you know, put them into an organization, they're super productive and they're ready to go. And other people, maybe they need to go do a gap year, maybe they need to travel around the world, maybe they need to go take care of, you know, 
uh, family members, um, they're just not ready yet for that level of um, productivity and they will come to that later um, or maybe not. But, uh, but I think that's, that's where it gets tough for an institution or university to say, uh, you know, we guarantee something, uh, but they can try to do as much as they can to prepare people for that. No, great. And, and that definitely makes sense, right? You, you can't have a one size fits all type of approach where you can guarantee everyone's success rate in an organization, right? Or, or, or even organizational fit. So that's, that's definitely something that, you know, we will keep in mind and um, these people shouting outside my door. <laughs> I think just to add on to that, Sean. Pardon? Yeah, just yeah, just to add on to that, I'm listening to Rashan yeah. just break that specific element of that challenge down. I think back to the startup that I was incubating at the Watson Institute back in back in 2019. We were we we're essentially trying to build a Tinder for internships, right? We secured a bit of funding um, at Strathmore Business School, flew to to Watson and um, for the semester accelerator. And one thing that we realized over the course of this. Um, you know, I was studying how companies in the United States would approach internships and how there was a lot of focus on intern retention, because as you said, I'm not needing to spend extra money on training them, uh, sorry, training new employees and stuff like that. And one challenge that we realized that we'd have coming back to Kenya, even in the United States, is creating that incentive for the companies because students, they need those internships, right? And you would be solving their, their, their challenge of, of transitioning into the workspace at whatever level, right? But the biggest, biggest challenge that, that we were ideating around and you know, we didn't figure it out at the time, uh, left the start of the next year, but the biggest challenge was how do we get companies to trust our internship model, right? As Roshana said, just reduce that risk for them. Right. And I think the solution that I wish we'd had this podcast episode three years ago, right, was to, you know, co-create these programs with employers. And, mm-hmm. and that is something, you know, just for us to think about as well as, as people, you know, with the aim of creating social impact in the employment and, and professional yeah. development space. But when, just going back to you, Rashan, I mean, what a, yeah, yeah, go ahead, Chan. Yeah, I mean, no, I was, I was just saying it's, it's, it's never too late. I mean, it's, it's a concept that, you know, I know Fact. that three boardroom have been really playing with and trying to see how, yeah. you know, we can take our learnings of trying to do these similar things in isolation, putting it together. So, yeah, th- this is a masterclass, not just for ourselves, but you know, yeah. no one out there who, you know, is, 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 is thinking about doing the same. Yeah. As we come... As we come to the tail end of this conversation, um, and just passing the baton back to you, Roshan, your book is the number one bestseller on Amazon, right? So congratulations to Woo! you and to your <laughs> co-writer on the, the new reason to work. Well, um, having having um, moved from CEO to board member of Money Institute, you know, your new book is out. What are your goals and ambitions for, for the future? Thanks for the question. You know, in some ways, I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, but I think one of the reasons that I uh, moved on from Amani Institute and, and one of my 
my growing um, kind of um, interest is around climate change. I think that that's the issue of the decade, you know, ahead. And, um, and that's something I'm trying to figure out, you know, where do I make my best contribution uh, to that space? You know, how do I bring my uh, current expertise in social entrepreneurship and leadership development in emerging markets into the climate change uh, sector? Um, it's not an easy transition to make because that's a very technical field, but I'm, you know, I've got a few different projects in the works and, um, uh, you know, hopefully by the end of this uh, year, I'll have uh, something to, you know, more tangible to share on that. But I think that's the direction that I'm, I'm going to try to move into for the next decade. Uh, so, I mean, you know, the best laid plans, as they say. So um, it's, uh, it's quite possible that six months from now, I'll be doing something completely different. Of course, you never know. But, uh, but that's my intention. Like, that's the intention that I'm putting out into the world uh, for where I'd like to move with my own uh, career and, and my own life, um, you know, over the next few years. What's what's one of the things that you're most hopeful about? Like what what's giving you hope right now? What what do you see happening in the world or uh, going on that is something that you know you tether your positivity onto and you're excited about? Um, I think the thing that's giving me the most hope actually is the the rising numbers of people all around the world who we wrote the book for. You know, these are people who are not willing to settle for a traditional business as usual kind of career. These are people who are saying, no, I want to make a difference. I want to I want to make a living. I want to make money. I want to lead a comfortable life. Um, but I also want to leave the world a better place than I found it. You know, I also want to um, to try to solve problems so that, you know, people who are less privileged than I am, um, you know, don't have to suffer anymore. And I think that there are so many different forces that are, are pushing more and more people to, to think like this and to be like this. And that's what gives me uh, hope, you know, and, and of course, today, um, the day we're having this conversation, uh, you know, the end of February is also the day that uh, we have a throwback to uh, centuries past as, as one country invades another, um, you know, and starts a war for reasons that are, you know, completely um, mind-bogglingly uh, bewildering to, to the rest of the world. Like, why is this war happening? Um, so I think we must always be aware that, you know, as human beings, we can, um, we can regress really quickly to, to, to outdated and out, you know, um, old-fashioned ideas like war. Um, and I think that, like, that's always with us. And so it's, it's really important to retain that hope and to um, to try to help people to move beyond, um, you know, uh, old school mentalities uh, towards like a more modern and a more progressive and, and hopefully uh, a more evolved consciousness, um, you know, with how we want to approach how we spend our time on this planet. That's beautiful. Perfect. Um, Roshan, and yeah, the, the context, the context that you have brought in is something that, you know, is, is something to think about, right? Even as, as, as young, young impact leaders, you know, on our end, you're looking at, and our listeners, right? How, how can we lead better, right? Leave, lead from a point of, of empathy and, and high emotional intelligence. I think that's, that's a very important element of, of social, social impact leaders.
Um, right, true. Sean, what do we have? What do we have next? Now, Rashan, we've come to the end, unfortunately, of um, of this conversation. Not going to be the end of it. our future ones. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, we just had a conversation in the boardroom, uh, you know, up at the executive suite, you know, the boardroom banter, office uh, <laughs> complex. And uh, now you're walking out towards the elevator. And right. one of our eager interns corners you and you know gets gets into the elevator with you and they've got a couple of questions for you. So okay. these are gonna be quick rapid fire questions. And right. um, we implore you to be as honest with our intern as possible because their hope and dreams are resting <laughs> in your hands right now. <laughs> so are we ready? You ready to step into the elevator? Yeah, yeah, we're on the 20th floor, we're starting to go down. So fire away, you know, yes, 19, sir. 18, <laughs> 17, come on and cool. ask me the question. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the first question is, uh, you've got a billboard in the middle of the busiest street of your favorite city, right? Whichever city that is, or whatever it is, and can write whatever message you want on this billboard. What would that one message be? Yeah. Um, I would say it would be, um, may you bring light to someone else's life. Perfect. May you bring light to someone else's life. I like it. That's a tweet. Next, uh, pick a movie character from your favorite movie or whoever is your favorite movie character to be for 24 hours. So you're going to live their life in whatever metaverse, <laughs> multiverse version of <laughs> their existence. But for 24 hours, pick a movie character. Wow, you guys don't make it easy. Um... It's, it's the intern, it's not us. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make it easy. Um, pick one movie character. I'm trying to think of movies. Um, I would love to. Okay, so so there's a movie character, but um, it actually comes from a book originally. Um, um, one of the most memorable characters I think I've seen in, in recent times is um, the, um, the girl with the dragon tattoo. So the, I know this is going to sound weird but for someone, you know, uh, but I think like that is a very memorable character. And uh, I think the way she sees the world is, is something really different. And so uh, I wouldn't mind uh, being in her mind for 24 hours and her mad skills, of course, uh, with hacking and all of that. That would be fun too. Yeah, we did not see that one coming. Uh, <laughs> next one is... Good movie, though. Good movie, though. Movie yeah, recommendation right there. It's a great one. <laughs> it's a great one. <laughs> uh, next one. Pick one country. I know you're, we're all about the future of work right now. So if you had to pick one country to remote work from for the next year, which country or city would it be? So it's you um, and your laptop and Wi-Fi somewhere. Where yeah. would that be? 
gosh, so many options. Um, so I'll tell you places I've, I've actually remote worked from um, Abali in Indonesia, um, Goa in India, Rotan in the Honduras, uh, Curaçao, um, also in the Caribbean. I had an amazing time. I'm sure I can think of more uh, places as well. Um, but but these are some that I, I recommend. Uh, they're all wonderful. I think there's many great parts of the world to remote from remote work from these days. It depends whether you know what you want to uh, see. Oh wait, the elevator's landing right. I should I should stop. All right, I'm gonna stop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's all right. That's okay. Right, Roshan. <laughs> Roshan, Roshan, Roshan cheated. He he named a bunch of exotic places. And would you even now, work there? Sean, if you were to go to Bali, would you would you be working? Of course. <laughs> the, some something's gotta pay the rent, you know. That, exactly. That ocean I've been view, doing events, you know. I've been doing yeah. parties. Yeah. Good parties, parties for tourists. Good party for that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. awesome. This has been such a such an insightful conversation, um, Rashan. And before we wrap it up, please. Please tell us where we can find your book. I know it's on Amazon. For us, we're in Mauritius. Um, people listening yeah. to us from Kenya, Rwanda, how can, how can they access your book? Roshan's mm-hmm. book is called The New Reason to Work, co-authored by himself and co-founder right, of Amani Institute, Elaina mm-hmm. Rabat, um, mm-hmm. if I pronounced her name correctly. You did brilliantly. Um, she talk- very happy to hear this. Like most people don't get hope, it right. And you just hope did. she hears... Yeah, hope she hears this part of the interview. Yeah. This part yeah. right here. You <laughs> but just tell us how we can get you access to your... just made a friend, I promise you. Oh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> tell us how we can get access to your book, Roshan. The, uh, it's, you know, one of the challenges, of course, with modern publishing um, is that it's not easy to, to get it everywhere in the world. Uh, it's available on Amazon through Kindle, which I believe is, you know, downloadable in most parts of the world, depending on your Kindle account. Yeah. Um, it's available to order. Um, you know, it's much easier to get in the US and Europe, I think, and Japan and Australia, a few places like that on paperback compared to Africa or India. Um, so I would say go for the Kindle version if you can. It's also the cheaper one. Um, you know, um, so go go with that if you possibly can. Uh, um, and uh, if you still can't find it, you know, send me a note on LinkedIn or something, and we'll see if we can help you out. Fantastic! Thank you so much, Prashan. And uh, yeah, I I think I hope you enjoyed yourself as much as we have, if not more, hopefully more. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely. It's been a delight. We've it's absolutely been a delight. As I said, you guys are taking me down memory lane to uh, my life in Nairobi, uh, which was a very very special part of my life. So uh, I'm ex- uh, Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, and. Thank you, everyone who's listened. You guys have come this far. We hope you've enjoyed our episode with none other than Roshan Paul. We hope that you guys have a fantastic week, super impactful week as well. Remember that at the core of social impact is behavioral change. So when you're out there looking to change the world, take a look at the people around you. Are they changing their behaviors? Are you changing your own behaviors? Are your products and services creating new mindsets, new behavioral patterns, new ways of thinking, new ways of seeing the world. Anything is possible, guys. Um, You might want to rewind this podcast again. It's an entire masterclass as we're going to do, but 
Thank you once again for joining us. I've been your host, Sean Karanja. The local noise make a for Samina. We've got none other than Roshan Paul as well. You can sign out. Where you guys can't see, but we've got peace signs. <laughs> Cheers, everyone, and have a great Cheers. Week. Thank you. Thank Thanks you so for much listening. for listening. Uh, you guys. Thank you, Roshan. All righty. Have a good one. Have a good weekend.